So friends, every year on this uh, last Sunday of the liturgical year, uh, the church puts before us the solemnity of Christ the King. So I was hoping not everybody went to the parish Christ the King today and came here instead. Um, right, but that we honor our close sister parish there on this their uh, patronal feast day. Christ the King, and it, it puts before us every year this incredible paradox, which is that the one who is the king of the universe, who the second reading says all of creation is subject to his authority, that king manifests his kingship and his power and his authority most fully at Calvary on the cross. It just puts before us that we worship a really different kind of king. Right? We think of a monarch, and I think it's hard for us as Americans to think about monarchs. When the queen died recently, everyone was like, are you watching all the queen stuff? I was like, no, I don't like monarchy. You know, We revolted against it. Right? It's just, like I don't know, I've just never been into the queen. A lot of people are into the king and queen of England. Right? But like when we think of a monarch, we think of sitting on a throne and, and ruling and having authority and power, and yet the king that we worship, as the gospel describes today, talks about his kingdom from Calvary, from the cross. I came across an old homily sermon that said it like this. It said, they handed him a cross, not knowing that he would turn that cross into a throne. His accusers handed him a cross, not knowing that he would turn that cross into his throne. I found a homily from uh, Pope Francis in 2018. And he says, in this life, God's throne is always the cross. In this life, Christ the King's throne is always the cross. And so if we look in our... Um, in our gospel today. So again, we're celebrating Christ the King, and the, the image we get from the gospel is Jesus hanging, dying, suffering on the cross. Right? But we learn a number of things about what kind of king this is from that gospel. The first thing I think we learn is that, and we have to restate it every year, that his kingdom is not fully manifest in this world. That's not to say we don't get glimpses of the kingdom. Right? Jesus throughout his ministry says things like the kingdom is within you. The kingdom is in your midst. The kingdom is here. Right? The kingdom is present wherever Christ is present. Right? But the fullness of that kingdom, right? Jesus says, is not of this world. Right? The second criminal says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He says, today you will be with me in my kingdom in paradise. And of course, to Pilate, he says, my kingdom does not belong uh, to this world. And in fact, this is one of the more recent feasts, uh, solemnities in our uh, church here, 1925, Pope Pius XI. And if you think about 1925, um, he's, the Pope's seeing this kind of emerging identification of one's primary allegiance with, with political parties and political leaders. Right? He's seeing the rise of fascism. He's seeing the rise of nationalism. 
right? He's seeing a rise in, in national socialism, right? He's seeing secularism start to take hold. And so the Pope says, we have to, at the end of every liturgical year, we have to declare once and for all that Christ is our king. No earthly party, no earthly political system, no earthly political power, no earthly political leader is our king and lord. Jesus alone is our king and lord. I always love that this feast falls like right after the election. Right? Just because of how the liturgical year is set. This feast falls right after the election every year. And I love it because it's, it's, a, it's a reminder for us that no matter what happened right a few weeks ago. And unfortunately in Georgia they still have to go through it for a few more weeks. You know? But no matter what happened. Christ is king. Christ is king. That that's our primary allegiance. I, uh, one of my great heroes in the, in the faith is St. Thomas More. Um, he was a, uh, a lawyer and uh, the chancellor of England during the Reformation. And if you've ever seen um, the great movie, about him, A Man for All Seasons. Um, it's a wonderful movie, and he was my idol because if you, I, I don't know if you can imagine this, but in college, I was actually studying political science and pre-law, and was probably going to go into politics or law, and I am very grateful I chose the priesthood. <laughs> Both of them seem rather rough. Uh, but he was one of the great heroes because, uh, for me, and then ironically, in divine irony, I guess, or whatever, I was ordained on his feast day, June 22nd, um, which is him and St. John Fisher's feast day. But he was my, I don't know, I had to go to him because I had a tendency to, to think of politics and things as much more important. Right? And they are important, of course. It's not to downplay that. Um, but if you know that movie or you know his story, um, he, he refuses to stand to support King Henry VIII in his second marriage without an annulment from the Pope. And so the Pope, Henry VIII, breaks free of the Pope and declares himself the head of the church in England. And his chancellor, Thomas More, would not go along with it. And so he goes to trial about to be executed for this act of, of uh, being a traitor. And his, one of his, his famous last lines um, is that he said, I die the king's good servant, but God's first. I die the king's good servant, but God's first. Thomas More understood as much as he was engaged in the political uh, process and as much as he knew that was really important, um, his primary allegiance was to Christ the king. And so we always keep that uh, in front of us. Uh, the second thing I think we learn from this passage is that um, in this life, we can't get to the throne without the cross. Like we can't get to the glory without the sacrifice. Right? Um, the, the soldiers and the first criminal, they want Jesus to invoke his divine power to experience the glory without having to go through the suffering. Jesus rejects this. In fact, the homily that Pope Francis gives on this is a different passage where uh, James and John are fighting with, with the other apostles about who's going to get to sit on which throne in heaven. Right? And Jesus says, uh, 
No, you can't sit on a throne in heaven until you've been baptized into the baptism with which I am baptized, meaning the cross. Until you undergo the suffering, you can't talk about the glory. And that's when Pope Francis says, in this life, Christ the King's throne is always the cross. That we must go through the cross in order to experience uh, the glory. You know, as a Toledo fan, I went through a, a kind of cross on Tuesday night <laughs> when University of Toledo lost uh, to Bowling Green. However, I think it, it's opening up for us a throne today, which is that our women's basketball team is going to beat Duke at 1 o'clock. Um, I want to call it Hannah here. Hannah's on the team, but she's injured. So that's why she's at church right now. <laughs> She'd probably have to be over practicing at this time. Um, so if they lose today, if Hannah would have been there, they would have won. So even if, right? So I think the cross of Tuesday night is preparing us for the glory of charging the court at 3 o'clock today when Toledo beats the great superpower of Duke. Anyway, that's obviously a small cross in glory. But the point is that, um, that that's just the reality. We can't have the throne uh, without the cross. Which brings me to my last point, which is Jesus has an amazing superpower. Whenever I think of this feast, the feast is called the Solemnity of Christ the King, King of the Universe. To me, that sounds like a Marvel character, like a Marvel movie. Christ the King, King of the Universe. So I want to I argue what his superpower is. Jesus' superpower is to turn crosses into thrones. I made a similar argument a while back. There's a, a Christian contemporary song called uh, Graves into Gardens. That's what Jesus does. He can turn graves into gardens. This is a play on that. He can turn crosses into thrones. Right? Think of the, the second criminal. The second criminal just gives himself. Right to Jesus. He says, you know, I'm responsible for what I did. Okay, this self-inflicted suffering. Right? This self-inflicted suffering. And Jesus turns that into a path to glory for him. And that's what Jesus can do with all of our sufferings. And whether we achieve the glory and the, the path of redemption and healing in this life or in the life to come, Jesus can use a cross... That's his superpower, to take a cross, whatever the hardship and suffering and sacrifice is, and he uses it to open up a path of redemption and healing and glory. And some of that may, may not be fully realized until the life to come, what he was opening up for us. Some of it, sometimes we see, right? We see when a cross or a burden opens up for us. When I look back at my own life, some of the most significant crosses became precisely what I needed, right, in my own path to, to, to growth and to wholeness. Right? That's what Jesus does. He turns crosses into thrones, whether in this life uh, or in the life to come. So friends, I just want to invite us to, as we look at this image of the crucifixion in our own worship space, like, to relish in the paradox of this feast, that the king we worship is really different.
than the king that we, and the kind of image of monarchy that we tend to think of. This is a king that's not into the pomp and the pageants, pageantry and the, and the, he's into willingly sacrificing and giving everything for the sake of his subjects, which are us. He's willing to give everything, right? And that is our path too. We can't have the glory without the sacrifice, without the cross. So Jesus gives us that great model uh, to imitate. And so as we um, celebrate this great feast of Christ the King, uh, let's remember that uh, reflection of, of Pope Francis. That in this life, Christ the King throne is always by way of the cross. And if that's Christ's path, that's our path as well.